This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. I appreciate the prayers this morning uh, from all of you or whoever prayed uh, in preparation for this sermon, uh, from, for Dwayne this morning and for David as well. I think about, you know, am I, my qualifications to stand up here are not very good, but we can have confidence when the Word of God is read. And that's a fact. Anytime. I think about when the walls were being rebuilt and Ezra and Nehemiah had, they had gotten the, the book of the law back. And for the first time in many generations, they were able to stand in front of all the people had gathered, men, women, and children, to hear the book of the law. And it says that they wept. And so anytime that we can in private, read God's Word, or in an assembly like this, turn and read God's Word, that's good enough. That's good enough. So I have confidence in His Word this morning, and that's what I'm going to present, and I hope to, that I obviously do present in a way that uh, is glorifying to God. In, our, in one of our songs this morning, Mansion Over the Hilltop, that was led by Caden, in the third verse, says that I am just a pilgrim in search of a city. And we're going to kind of talk about that this morning a little bit. I'm just a pilgrim in search of a city. Do we, do we see ourselves that way? As a pilgrim in search of a city. here, the, the imagery that I'm wanting to capture is this, this idea of drifting and not really knowing or paying attention to where you're going. Now, this is actually an advertisement for Bose noise canceling headphones, so if you want to get some of those, it looks like they work, I don't know. But for us this morning, we're not going to try to sell you any Bose, but the, the headphones in this case, could represent distraction. So the sermon, if we're going to title it something, would be drifting. And a pilgrim that knows he's a pilgrim that is searching for a city is not drifting. He's in search. He knows what he's after. So that's why that song ties in really well. This idea of drifting, you know, you set an audience, you may be in your 30s or 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and you may think, you know, that's a good lesson for those kids. You know, that's a good lesson for the teens or the young adults. But what I found in this study is that we are all subject to drifting away from God. None of us are immune to drifting away from God. Not one of us, no matter how old or how young we are. So 
So this lesson is for each of us, I promise you, this morning. And you may be in a stage in life where you are that, that you recognize yourself as a pilgrim and you are, are seeking that city. And nothing here tempts you. Nothing here is glamorous. But just wait. <laughs> because you're going to be attacked and you're going to be picked at and pressed to try to start drifting. We want to turn our attention to Deuteronomy. We're going to spend uh, some time here in Deuteronomy. I love looking at we have history of what has happened to groups of people that teach us what we should look out for. And we learn a lot from the children of Israel throughout the Old Testament, but specifically here in Deuteronomy, our text this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 32, we're going to read 18 verses out of it. But before we do, if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 31, this is where God tells Moses, uh, you're going to die soon. And Joshua is going to take the reins from you, and he's going to lead the people into the promised land, which he does later in Joshua, uh, not long after Moses dies. But what's weird, or kind of interesting about this chapter 31 is God talking to Moses saying that you're soon going to pass away, but before you do, I have basically one more task for you. Does anybody know what that task was? It was to write down a song that God was to give him. That's interesting. And this song, God explains to Moses, was a song that would remind the people. So God explained to Moses that, hey Moses, your people are out, your people are with you, and they're doing pretty good right now, but not long after you die, and when they're in the land of Canaan, they're going to rebel. They're going to go and they're going to, uh, to love and serve and create other gods. And I want you to write this song and teach them this song to remember that it might be on their hearts. And it might be a reminder to them both of his love and his desire for them for righteousness. So, We'll hit a little bit more of chapter 31 in a few minutes, but for now, at the end, Moses puts the pen to the paper, if you will, and he records this song. And Deuteronomy chapter 32, the first 43 verses, is that song. Now, it would be difficult for us to sing. Uh, I don't know how they broke it up and sang it to memorize it, but and I won't sing it to you. You're welcome. But we're going to read it. And I find it immensely powerful in that this is the song that God wanted his people to hear, to know, and to remember as they followed him or attempted to. So let's pay close attention. Let's read Deuteronomy 32, first 18 verses. <clears throat> Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, and ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. 
a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you fool and senseless people, foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? Now this is a song about the children of Israel that they themselves are learning. So they're learning a song that says that we are these children that are corrupt and blemished and we are the crooked and perverse generation, a twisted generation. Verse 13 says, He made him ride on the high places of the land. This is speaking of God's provision for his people throughout history. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herds and milk from the flock with the fats of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very, the very finest of the wheat. And you drank foaming wine from the blood of the grape. But Yeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. I think I skipped a few. Remember the days of old, so we're out of order because I skipped this one, sorry, but we still get this, the message is the same. So remember the days of old. He's telling them, don't forget. Remember. He says, consider the years of many generations and ask your father and he will show you. Ask your grandfathers, your elders, and they will tell you when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance. When he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is a lot of heritage. And he goes on to talk about his provision for Jacob. He found him in the desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him, he cared for him, he kept him as the apple of his eye, like an eagle, picture an eagle on top of its nest, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, protecting these young baby birds, spreading out its wings and catching them, bearing them on pinions. An eagle's nest is way up there, maybe in, in the rocks or in, in the tallest tree that you can think of. And, and it protects these young birds from the way up high, bearing them on pinions. The Lord alone guided them, talking about Jacob and his people. No foreign God was with him. And we read this. So we see a pattern. We see uh, with time passing, he, he says, remember. So they forgot. They were forgetting what had happened. They said, he said, ask your dad. Ask your grandfather what the Lord has done. Remember what God has done for Jacob. How soon, as been mentioned this morning, are we to forget the provisions that God gives us? We look at the children of Israel and we can't hardly believe that 
that they could forget that they were brought through the Red Sea or that they saw the plagues happen to Egypt. In verse 15, he says, But Yeshurun grew fat. Speaking of the children of Israel, this, this word Yeshurun is a symbolic name for Israel, meaning upright. I find that really, really interesting that God uses this word, this pet name, if you will, for the children of Israel, for his people, right here when he says, basically he says, the upright grew fat. And they kicked. They got stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred God to jealousy by creating false gods or worshiping potentially the gods that they had learned about in Egypt. With abomination, they provoked him to anger. They went as far as to sacrifice to demons. To gods they had never known to new gods that had come recently. <laughs> I think about that. To new gods that had come recently. Always a new thing to worship. Right? Always a new fad. Always a new popular thing. To gods that had just, that had just come recently. Brand new gods. Whom your fathers had never dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you and forgot the God who gave you birth. The children of Israel were guilty of being blessed, becoming fat and lazy, and forgetting the God who gave them security. How is that possible? How could they forget all that had been done for them? Time had passed. Maybe these young men that were now leaders didn't listen to their fathers. Maybe they didn't take heed from the instruction of their grandparents. And they came up with new ways to worship God. We can fall into that same trap. We can be the upright. We can be Yeshurun. And yet... slowly drift away from him. As I think it did over time with the children of Israel, that slow drift away from God that led them to the point where they were sacrificing to unknown gods. Sacrificing to demons. got to be able to learn from how they it didn't just happen it didn't happen overnight they didn't worship God and things were going great and smooth and then all of a sudden they flipped a switch and then okay we are not going to follow him anymore we hate God we want to worship these other it was a progression that's the danger is the progression it's a little bit the chipping away at who we are in Christ just chipping away at us, chipping away at us. 
Hebrews follows this almost exact same pattern. It's amazing how similarly it relates to the, to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy, uh, and to other places in the Old Testament. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, or chapter 2, but if we start with, if we go back and look at Hebrews chapter 1, there's no instruction in Hebrews chapter 1. It's not telling us what to do, how to live. Uh, it's simply talking about the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Just like that song at the beginning of it in Deuteronomy 32, was there, it was a reminder to the people of God's majesty and glory. Well, Hebrews chapter 1 is a reminder to us of the majesty of Jesus. And he says in verse 1, chapter 2, Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Is it possible that we drift away from this message? The message was Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus Christ and our call to worship Him. Therefore, we must pay close attention to what we have heard unless we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels provided to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles. This is almost identical to what we read in Deuteronomy. Look what God has done for you. Be careful that you don't drift away from it. We look, as we look through the, the book of Hebrews, we see uh, this almost the exact same thing that we see happen to the children of Israel. We, they go and, and they're, they're, they're under heavy persecution. And so that's why I think this message was so important to them because of the persecution was causing them to drift. And we see it causes them to have a, a doubting or an unbelief. Later in chapter 5, they're a dulling of their senses. And then a drawing back from God. And eventually, this Christian church was denying and refusing to serve Him. That sounds exactly like the children of Israel. So we have some warnings that we heed here. And that's what I want to pull from. I, I can't stand up here and say, I have the answer. And here's the anecdote to never drift. And uh, you know, do this, this, and this. I, that's, I can't. That's foolish. Uh, but I'll tell you what I learned from this. I learned that drifting is, is very, very possible and highly likely for each of us throughout our lives. That's what I learned. I cannot stress the importance this morning of how, how I said it before that none of us are immune to it. When we 
think we're immune to it, that's when we're deceived. You remember that Satan doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's subtle. He appears as an angel of light. We see that the church is destroyed a lot of times, or churches are destroyed a lot of times because there are wolves in sheep's clothing. All these things are done subtly. God's going to have a, Satan's going to have a really hard time ripping you from this church instantly, or from the body of believers, or from your faith. He's not going to be able to do it overnight, but what he can do is pull on threads. Does that make sense? Just pull out a thread of a shirt. Imagine a shirt or a button sewed on. You just pull out a thread and slowly eat away at us. And I'm confident, really, really confident that's how he does. That's how he attacks us. And there's a lot of ways that he goes about it. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But what, what I want to learn from these four verses here is verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? So what, what I find here is our, our warning is to not neglect the message of salvation. Neglect. Is it possible for us to neglect? What does neglect mean? In the Hebrew, amelio, we see that it means to be careless of, to make light of, to be negligent, to not regard. Our language, the English language, we might interpret it as to give little attention or respect to, to leave undone or unattended, especially through carelessness. Does that make a little more sense now when we look at that verse and we say, well, how in the world are we going to leave our salvation? I'm not, you know, I don't just forget about it. No, we neglect it. We neglect our daily service to God, our daily responsibilities, a little bit at a time, a little slow degradation of the senses. To give little attention. It doesn't say no attention. It doesn't say none, absolutely none. It says, but just to give a little attention to or respect to. To leave something undone or unattended. Or to be careless with our salvation. I think we live in a world that is very careless with salvation. We kind of, it's free and easy, I guess you might say. Or it seems that way. When I think of uh, negligent, I think of like a building, a home. In the span of a few years, if you, if you have a home and you don't tend to it, I mean, mine seems like overnight <laughs> that it's that way. But in, I mean... Guys that deal with the houses all the time and the real estate, doesn't take long at all. And if you own a home, you know that it does not take long. If, don't tend the yard. Don't tend the garden. Forget about the structure, but just leave the yard alone for a year. And good luck finding the house in Arkansas, right? 
I think about this building that's just left unattended to. And he's saying, I caution you to treat your salvation that you, that I caution you against treating your salvation like we would a building that's important to us or should be. We just leave it unattended. It has little value to us. Deuteronomy 8 and 10 says, And you shall eat and be full, and shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. So, we recognize what God has done for us. We are are pleased. We are satisfied. Things are going great. But He says to take care. Right after that, but take care lest you forget. So, what do I learn is that how important it is for us to take care because we can forget. It says, Lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and statutes which I commanded you today. So, throw God's rules and statutes out the window. Let's come up with some better rules. Let's come up with some better statutes. Let's come up with some better gods that we can worship. Let's do it a better way because God's way is old and the way that my dad and grandpa did it is old and foolish. I'm going to come up with some new rules. He says, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, none of those things are bad. We're full, we're happy, we built houses, they're nice, we live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold, is that not the American dream? You've got your, you're finally established. Oh, I can't wait to be established. Got a nice house. Things are going great. You know, got a little silver. Got a little gold put in the bank. The, my, my flock's doing great. I got some land. But take care lest you forget. None of those things are bad. But he says, those things will cause you, if you're not careful, to forget. He says, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Your heart will be lifted up. What does that mean? Say, look what I've done. Look what I'm capable of. And we we forget quickly what God has done for us. He says, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. I mentioned Deuteronomy chapter 31, which is where God tells Moses that he's going to die soon, pass the torch to Joshua. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, 19, he says, Now write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. That when this happens, they can sing this song and chew on the words. following verse says, For when I have brought them into the land that flows with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. This theme of fat, sleek, keeps coming up. And I think that 
it's a reference to not working, to laziness. We see in Revelations chapter 3 when the admonition is given to the church at Laodicea. Remember it says these words, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, he says, I know your works, you are neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either hot, I would that you would either hot, that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, but realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I would say that we need to really caution ourselves against success in this life. That's what I find here. That's why I find that the children of Israel, when they were down in the dumps, they called upon the name of the Lord. But when they had it really good, they forgot who God was. And they forsook Him. They took what they had and they were not, and they were negligent of their faith. Because their hearts were lifted up against God and they, they wanted to come up with a better way. I think about lukewarm when you take a boiling pot of water and that's how God wants us to be. Maybe that's how we start off as a Christian and then you don't go from boiling hot to freezing cold. It's just, if you turn the stove off, it's just a slow progression. I think that's what happens to Christians a lot. I, I would say that if you look at most Christians that have denied the faith or walked away from the faith, if you asked them if you could have an honest conversation with them, it was a slow degradation of values, principles, and a neglect for their salvation. And it probably started at a point where things were going really well. And we throw off our need for God. And we don't even appreciate our salvation. So we learn that we need to be really cautious against neglect or forgetting, as we read in Deuteronomy, that we don't forget what God has done, obviously. The next thing we see is that we must pay close attention. Therefore, he says, we must pay close attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from it. So what I find is that it takes great effort. It takes great resolve and, and energy to focus on what really matters. That's what I find. This message of don't give up, don't give in, don't slip, don't quit. So I'm going to read through uh, several verses pretty quickly with the same theme. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that I think we live in a culture that's kind of free and easy with faith and salvation and our relationship with God, and there's very little that we can do to contribute to our relationship with God. It's it's kind of all on him after we've accepted him and you know we've got this salvation thing and and now you know we're good what i find in the scriptures from god's word is much different than that that loose and free attitude of salvation 
And I want to share that with you this morning. So, don't neglect what God has given you. And number two, pay close attention to what you have heard. He says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Diligent. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. Contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. We have got to contend earnestly for our faith. Constantly fighting for it to not lose the upper ground. Constantly battling to uphold our faith. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. Be diligent. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work, and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. We want you to have hope until the very end, so that you may not be sluggish. I think that we get lazy in our faith. We get haphazard, and we get lazy. This idea of fatness. Sleepness. We have everything we need and everything's good and we sit back on idle and we get lazy. So that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. takes a lot of work. I think God wants a lot of effort from us. I think He wants us to contend for our faith. I think He wants us to be diligent. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Diligent to present ourselves to God. Diligent to uphold our faith. Let us therefore strive, strive. An Olympic athlete strives for first place for the gold medal. They put in years and years of work and sweat and effort and a diet. Everything, an Olympic athlete, a professional athlete, everything they do revolves around them being better at their sport. Everything. They strive for excellence in all that they do so that they could be number one. They could be the best. I think God is calling us to strive for our faith and for our salvation. Not to earn it because we, we have to strive to earn it, but we strive because we have it and we want to keep it. Because it's valuable to us. Because we know the God who has delivered us from our sins. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword 
it any wonder that Paul, think about all the Apostle Paul did in his efforts to serve God. Is it any wonder at the end of his life, his words were, it's finished. I have fought a good fight. Like Paul was proud of that. It, it was no, he didn't sit back and say, man, this got easier with time. <laughs> you know, this Christian thing got a lot easier. As I got older, you know, it got easier. Less effort. He says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Why was he so proud of that? Of course he did. Paul knew the effort that it took to finish the race. He knew the constant effort and desire to serve God that it took in order for him to say those words. It was effort. It was work. He did not neglect what God had given him. He says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but those also who loved his appearing. So, Paul says, I've I've fought. If we don't want to end up like the children of Israel, we don't want to end up like the, the Hebrew church there, then we've got to realize that we've got to fight all the time. That it's worth contending for above everything else, above our jobs, uh, above our, our prestige or our, our worldly needs, that it, it is our priority. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if, you're, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the, in the rebellion, talking about the children of Israel. On the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years, therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. Always. They shall not enter my rest. But He says to take care. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you in any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away. None of us ever intend to fall away. No Christian that we ask that has fallen away would say, yeah, that was my goal. <laughs> yeah, I started the race knowing I wouldn't finish. Yeah, no. I started the race, I was on fire, I was, I was boiling hot, and then, I don't know, it just happened. I was freezing cold. I don't know what is this or this or this. But we can be led away. We can be led away, brothers and sisters. Now, I'm not saying we are, or that you in particular are. But we have... Satan is going to continually try for that very goal is to make us lukewarm or cold. And it doesn't matter which one it is to him. Because lukewarm is just as good. Leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, we, we see this like a hardened heart is the end result of the sinfulness that creeps into our lives. This slow degradation. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed, listen, 
we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I guess my encouragement this morning is that it's a fight. It's effort. It's work to contend for the faith. We can't sit back on the sidelines and let others contend for our faith and expect that we will be strong and that we will be able to stand against these small little constant cuts and attacks from Satan. If we're on the sideline, we are already guilty. We are already being led astray. That's the beginning. I encourage us to hold our original confidence that we had in Christ. That day that we received forgiveness of sins. We rose out of the waters of baptism. It says a new creature. A new creation. And oh how good it felt to know that when God looked at us, He saw perfection. I told that same confidence that we had in the beginning to the end. That's why Paul said, I have fought a good fight. I have run the race because it was work. And it was effort. But it was worth it. Proverbs, in its wisdom here, says, To keep your heart with all diligence. To be diligent to keep your heart. For out of it spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Think about what you're doing. Consider your, your effort, what your time, what you're doing. And let your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot far, far from evil. The idea here is that uh, drifting, that we drift away from God slowly, you know. Well, here he's talking about keeping your eyes right down the middle. You think about driving. How long of a nap can you take while driving? Not very long. And fortunately, there's rumble strips on a lot of highways, and we hit those rumble strips, and we wake up, and we really we correct, right? But a lot of people don't over, they don't correct, and it's fatal, or, right? Terrible things happen from drifting. And that can happen to us if we drift spiritually. If we look to the right or to the left and we're distracted by these Bose-canceling headphones, or... Emmy has a blanket, and it's, oh, it's about four by four, probably. I don't know, maybe that would give you an idea. And it was handmade for her when she was born. And it's her blanket. She loves it. She wants to bring it with her everywhere she goes, but we don't let her because she drags it. Well, when that blanket was brand new, it was perfect. I don't know how it was made, you know, how they do that stitching and whatever, weaving and stuff that they do. I'm not sure, crocheting maybe. Well, now the blanket looks about like this. Okay? So imagine that same size, four by four square, about a hole in it, about the size of Emmy, is in the blanket. So it doesn't do a very good job of covering her anymore. And I have tried time and time again to repair it. 
Well, the way it was built was that if one thread starts to come loose, guess what the rest of them do? It just starts to unravel. And I think about that's exactly what Satan tries to do to us. He tries to unravel us by pulling one thread. If I can take one bit of your heart, if I can entice you with one little thing, I can slowly start to turn your heart from God to me or to yourself. One little thread. And now her blanket, her blanket isn't a circle, but there, imagine that's a hole in her blanket. And we, I think, are just like that. Satan, he takes a thread and, and pulls it, and we start to unravel. And we don't even realize it. It's small. At first it was really small, and I didn't even know that there was just a little hole. It wasn't much. And so what I'd do is I'd cut a couple pieces that were already loose, and I'd tie them together. And I thought, yeah, I got it fixed. But then a week later... The hole was bigger, and I thought, man, I thought I had the thing fixed, so I'd cut, you know, find the end pieces, and I wouldn't fix them like they were supposed to be fixed. I would just get them and tie them together and think, okay, if we can just salvage this thing. Then a week later, another hole, bigger hole. That happens. It happens to us if we're not really, really careful, if we're not really, really diligent, if we can keep from neglecting what God has given us. Now when the people saw that Moses, this is in Exodus, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who had brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. He hasn't returned. I look at this story and I think about, just imagine you were there. Imagine you could be there at this time where the, the people come to Aaron and say, Aaron, man, Moses said he ain't come back yet. Let's make us, we don't know if he's even going to show up. He probably died up there with all the thunder and lightning and stuff. Let us make other gods for ourselves and we might worship them. Imagine if you were there. I wonder, like, who, who had the idea at first? Right? Somebody had to come up and think about it. All these people, someone had to come up with the idea, okay, maybe me and Ryan got together and said, hey, I don't think Moses is coming back. What do you think about it? You propose to the people that you create. You go and create some other God, like a golden cat that you can be worship. Somebody had to be the ringleader here. And the people bought into it. They came up with They knew God's way, or they had known God's way, but they said, let us come up with a better way. Now, the word woke comes to mind. We think of that as a political term for today, but maybe it is. But this idea of progressive thinking, of a better way, woke, they, whoever came up with the idea to, to create these new gods and this golden calf was woke. They were awake to this new progressive idea of doing God's way a better way. Does that make sense? Let's do it a better way. I have a better idea. They were so tired, their, their weariness from waiting on Moses, they could not handle anymore. And we live in a world that's weary of waiting for Jesus to return, I think. And we ourselves at times might even grow weary of his 
his, his non-return at this point. And I think that weariness that we find here with the children of Israel and Moses and Aaron here was because they were tired of waiting for Moses. They were tired of waiting for the next instruction so they came up with a better idea for themselves instead of just waiting and pushing on and doing what God had said. And we are in that same position, waiting for the return of Jesus. And in that, do we, do we, are we allowing ourselves to come up with these woke this new progressive idea of doing things because we're tired of waiting for Jesus. We can't handle and we're stirring about coming up with a better solution. I believe that's our society right now. Coming up with a better solution than God's ways. We won't go talk to our dads or our grandpas or our great-grandfathers about uh, how things were done. We've got it all figured out. We've got a better way. How foolish when we look at them how foolish were they to desire gods of their own making? Does that make sense? They turned from the God who created them and brought them out of Israel, and they came up with this idea of, of making gods in their own mind. Gods of their own making. And, they, and <laughs> we are exactly the same in today's world. Creating gods of our own making. Namely, ourselves. We worship the creature more than the Creator. How foolish to desire gods of our own making. Yet, it, we do it all the time. It may be the house or the car or maybe the bank account, maybe our work. <clears throat> Dietrich Bonhoeffer has amazing insight on a lot of stuff. I want to read this quote. It says, With irresist, and it's kind of. He's, he's much deeper than I am mentally. So we're going to kind of just let's go slow and, and try, to, try to digest it. With irresistible power, desire seizes mastery over the flesh. It makes no difference whether it's sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge, or love of fame and power, or greed for money. Joy in God is extinguished in us, and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality, and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. How true that is. The lust thus aroused, it envelops our mind and our will in the deepest darkness. The powers of clear discrimination and of decision are taken from us. This ability to discern, to make wise judgment is stolen from us, and we have given in to our flesh. The question presents themselves then. Is what the flesh desires really sin in this case? Is it really not permitted to me? Yes, but expected of me. Now, here in my particular situation to appease this desire? It is here that everything within me rises up against the word of God. 
that quote embodies the, my desire for this lesson. And I think it encapsulates this exact thing that happens within us. I love how he brings to light that joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. And then at this moment, God is quite unreal to us. Is God unreal to you in your life? Is the power of salvation stolen from you? The joy of it. Is the joy of doing God's will, His way, painful to you? Satan does not here fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. He knows that we would never come out right and say that I hate you, God, but with time we'll neglect him. So, here's a picture of a stream. The idea this morning is drifting, maybe in a boat. There's a lot of currents in our world today. And any one of those currents can, can take you. We sing the song where you're anchor holding the storms of life. I think about that song. Will your anchor hold in the storms of life? When, when everything's horrible, will your anchor hold? Yeah, right? I think so. But what I want to look at is, what about this gentle current that you don't even really notice that's kind of got you? Maybe it's a lust or it's a desire for something that is just too powerful in your life. But it's... It hasn't caused you to sin against God. It hasn't torn him away from, you away from Him. But it's, it's slowly drifting. We have got to be willing to see and able to see when we start to drift from God. That's what I want, is for us to be aware of that. I don't accuse any of us of drifting from God this morning. I hope you understand that. But I want us to be aware that that is Satan's desire for us, is to slowly drift away from our Creator to where we worship ourselves. There are a lot of currents in this life. Will you remember to use the anchor daily in these little currents? Will you look to Jesus to navigate? Drifting requires no effort. If you get in a boat and you get on the creek or something... Just, it just goes. You just go. But following after God, from my understanding, requires great effort. Serving Him requires great effort. And it's worth it. Staying on course it requires us to pay attention, to focus, to put forth effort. So, I would just... I guess in closing, I would encourage each of us to look at our lives and to see if we're neglecting our salvation. If how valuable it is to us. If we're on the sidelines uh, in the church, in our families, in our own relationship with God, if we're neglecting it. And then two, just
Just how much work are we willing to put in for our faith? How much effort are we willing to put in? As the world pulls at us and tugs at us and, and Satan just wants to pull a thread out, just get a thread from you. Now, this doesn't mean that we're without hope when we fail. I want you to understand that. We have hope in Christ even when we sin. This is not uh, you've lost your salvation because you've drifted message. This is a don't drift. Be cautious of drifting so that you don't walk away from your salvation. So that you don't despise the God who gave it to you. When we sit back and think, that can't happen to me, we've got to be honest. And we have to look at the children of Israel and say, how did it happen to them? And how can we not let it happen to us? And it says that we are to not neglect our time together so that we can encourage each other daily, that we don't drift, that we hold each other accountable. We learned recently what a good friend is, somebody that holds us accountable, that requires a great deal from us. So I would encourage us to, to work hard, contend, earnestly for our faith that we can be faithful to the end so that we can be like Paul. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my race. And therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Paul wasn't lazy. He didn't give up on his faith. He worked hard all the way through the end. And like a tire, when you're going down the road, sometimes you get a blowout. You have a, you're stranded. You're stuck on the side of the road. But sometimes you get a little pinhole. You get a nail in your tire. And it's a slow leak. You don't even notice it. You might see it after a few days. You might say, oh, my tire's a little low. I'll put some air in it tomorrow. And then you go out to get in your car the next day and the tire's flat. It's been a slow, slow leak. Those are the hard ones to catch. And drifting away from God is hard to catch. Because before too long, we're already away from Him. And we've, we've, we've said, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to serve the gods that I've created in my own mind. So caution us against that. Look at the currents that are pulling your heart away from God in your life. Be aware of those and be diligent to fight against it. So I hope that this encourages you this morning to see great value in our salvation, to lay hold of it and appreciate it. The message is yours. We have an invitation song that we encourage you to come forward. If there are currents in your life that have taken you away from God and you recognize it, and now is a great time to go before God and before the church and ask for encouragement. Or if you would like to begin anew by being baptized into Jesus Christ, this invitation song is for that. So please come as we stand. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.